BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and producing natural gas with fewer emissions in the Permian Basin. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. After 36 years, Tom Cruise is back in a fighter jet. And we're off. He's starring in Top Gun Maverick. In three, two, one. As most people know, I love the original Top Gun. And I'm not the only one. My guest David Ellison loves it so much that he pushed for a decade to get a sequel made. Unlike me, Ellison had the power to make that happen. He's the founder and CEO of Skydance Media, which is behind the new release. Ellison had a rocky start in Hollywood. He's the son of tech mogul Larry Ellison, and after showing up in Hollywood in the 2000s, he funded some films that frankly tanked. But since then, he's turned things around. Now his company seems to have become a Hollywood success story. So I wanted to ask Ellison how he righted the ship, what he thinks of Silicon Valley's relationship with Hollywood, and get the story behind the new Top Gun. David, welcome to Sway. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. So I just want to say I went to the premiere in London. You're trying to get me excited. I'm very excited about Top Gun. I think Top Gun is one of my favorite movies, and I have a deep love of it in spite of myself. So um, when did you decide to make a sequel of, of it? So like you, the movie could not mean more to me. It's one of my favorite of all times. I will never forget seeing the film when I was a little kid because it was the movie that made me want to become a pilot. Uh, and I started flying airplanes when I was 13 years old and then started flying air shows when I was uh, 17, 18 and had the privilege of going up with the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds. And I can't tell you how many pilots of my generation watched that movie and said that's what they want to do one day. You did acrobatics, right? You did aerial acrobatics. Yeah, I started flying uh, competition aerobatics, uh, sold it in a, a German made extra 300L when I was uh, 16 years old. I failed my drive test the same day. But uh but yeah, no, started uh, started flying when I was 16 and kind of did air shows until I was 22 and was actually going to uh, film school at the time and kind of decided to uh, to kind of hang up the, the competitive aerobatics to uh, basically for school at USC. So it took 10 years to develop the sequel. Now, a lot of things go into sequel pretty quickly. Talk about why it took so long. Yeah, it was 10 years to develop the movie. And, and first, I just have to say the, the only reason we were able to make a sequel is because of what Tom, Tony Scott and Jerry Bruckheimer mm-hmm. did on that first movie, which as you said, was iconic and very much uh, helped define a generation of, uh, you know, in terms of cinema. Uh, In terms of the sequel, it was the first movie I wanted to make when we originally signed our deal with Paramount to co-produce and co-finance pictures back in 2010. Uh, There was nothing in development, but given how formative the film had been to me in my life, I really wanted to make a sequel to it because I thought there was something incredibly interesting about exploring Maverick at this point in time in his life. Mm-hmm. Who hasn't and, changed at all, by the way, but go ahead. <laughs> Who hasn't changed one bit in, what, 30 years or whatever? Yeah, I would say Tom is a little uh, singular in, yeah. in, in, in yeah. that regard. But, you know, the goal that we really had is we wanted to get the original uh, group of filmmakers back together. And so 
my journey on Top Gun started in a meeting with Tony Scott. Tony Scott is the director who has since died. Yes, the, since died. the late, great Tony Scott, uh, where I talked to him about a sequel, and he promptly said no several times. And we were actually in a meeting for another project when I brought up Top Gun at the end of the meeting, and Tony finally said, okay, pitch me something. Like, if you're really this serious, please pitch me something. Um, so went home, did a tremendous amount of research, went over to RSA, uh, knowing that it was, you know, as, as these things can be always a long shot. And uh, Tony said yes in the room. Mm-hmm. And so what were the what were the challenges of doing that? Uh, the biggest challenges with uh, and why the movie took 10 years was, for starters, it was all about the script. Tom was very clear that he was not going to make a sequel until he thought the screenplay and the story was worthy of that. You know, that was the film that really helped launch Tom into the, you know, kind of singular movie star status that he currently uh, sits atop of. And the mantra on the movie was, you know, this isn't a bullseye movie. Uh, This is hitting a bullet with a bullet. And, you know, we're not going to start making this movie until we have it right. And when we started making the movie, it was we are going to continue to work on it uh, until it got to a place that everybody was was happy with. Well, because there's a lot of shitty sequels when they come back. There's, you know, you sort of cringe in many of the sequels. They're not very good in general. And that is exactly what we did not want to do. Mm-hmm. Now, what was interesting in some of the reviews, people are sort of shocked that it's good. I was like, the original was good. It was one of the, the headlines that I thought was funny. It was against all odds, Top Gun Maverick is actually good. Why do you think people have that idea of this particular movie? Because it was a good movie when it was out. It was an iconic movie. Yeah, no, look, I think it's always, especially, you know, it's when you make a sequel 36 years later, which doesn't happen very often, uh, I think it's sometimes easy to be cynical. And I think expectations are really high. Uh, When I think about what this movie meant to me and, you know, know, and, and and what it means to so many, I think people are understandably apprehensive about whether or not anything would ever be done to kind of tarnish the legacy of the franchise. We understood that, and it's why we really set the bar as high as humanly possible. You know, from our standpoint, and, you know, I, I learned this very early on, quality is always the best business plan. You always have to aim as high as humanly possible, and there is nobody who embodies that characteristic more than Tom Cruise. So that, that's an interesting thing, because there's parallels between the film's handling of Maverick as the last of a dying breed, and Cruise is one of the few, he really is one of the few old school action stars. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? He is one of my uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when Ed Harris looks at Maverick and says, your kind is headed for extinction. And Maverick says, maybe so, sir, but not today. Right, yeah, the great line. You know, and there, there's so much, I think, in this particular moment in time as people are just starting to come back to the movies and the conversation that's taken place around the big screen in general, which we could not be more supportive of. And, you know, this movie in particular is designed to be seen on the biggest screen possible and really is, you know, a love letter to aviation. It's a love letter to fighter pilot culture. And it's a celebration of the big screen, the big screen experience. So talk about that, because one of the things I walked away from it is is movies have changed rather dramatically. Even the ones you're Star Trek you're making, they're faster, they're quicker. This is a very traditional movie in a way that I haven't seen in a while. Um, Did you think about that when you were making it, the idea of more traditional when younger people are either attached to superheroes or they're not used to the pacing of it. Um, How did you, did you think about that? We did. We definitely talked about wanting um, to capture a lot of the spirit of what the 80s movies were, but really update it for today in terms of honoring the sequel. And then the other thing that we were just adamant about from day one was we were going to shoot everything real. Tom was adamant 
uh, you know, that everybody go up in the F-18. And so he actually put together a training program where, you know, it was, it was three months for the entire cast where they graduated from flying Cessna 172s to extra 300s, then flying L-39 with the Patriots jet team, and then ultimately being ready to step into the F-18. Because when you shoot that type of photography reel, it is an entirely different experience for the audience. Right. And and when you think about the other movies, do you see doing a lot of movies like that? Because people are used to this highly computerized version of movies, essentially. Uh, I think it always depends on the story. And I think you always have to approach it as what better suits that story. I will say, having had the privilege of making... Um, Top Gun is number six. Uh, the next two missions will be seven and eight with Tom. There's always been a philosophy to do everything real because when it's in camera, it is a different experience for the audience. You know, if it can be done real and in camera, that is something that we have done across all of the mission movies. Right. Uh, Who's hanging off that that thing, right? The, the Burj Khalifa. Yeah, no, I, I, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I will never forget that being in Dubai. It was, um, you know, Skydance was a year old and um, it, it was remarkable was sitting there mm -hmm. when Tom actually stepped outside onto that building on, it was close to the 150th floor. You got a pit in your stomach staring at Video Village that day. And it's just, when the audience sees that, you know, they're going to experience that. And one of the things that has always amazed me about Tom is the extraordinary lengths that he will go to to entertain an audience. Yeah, he really, that's one of his big things. He always wants to give them the, their money's worth. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about your Hollywood origin story. Um, people may assume you have an easy ride into Hollywood given your father is Larry Ellison and has been, gave you money. Uh, he told me about it. He told me, in, actually one night, he gave me a lot of details about how much money he gave you and your sister, who is also a filmmaker. Um, but you did some uh, early projects like Flyboys and Northern Lights and they struggled and you started in acting and then you moved behind the scenes. Talk about that journey, because what went wrong there in terms of, of you moving into acting versus really essentially being a business person and producer? Well, being a terrible actor, for starters, would be one mm -hmm. of the problems. Mm -hmm. um, and okay. um, There's a lot of terrible actors, but move <laughs> along. Go. No, no. it's um, So my story really started with... Um, you know, I was fortunate, I mean, incredibly, incredibly privileged to have some incredible mentors in this business, one of which was Steve Jobs, um, who, you know, was my dad's best friend and yeah, was, was very much... people don't know that. They have very similar backgrounds in a lot of ways. They do. They do. And, you know, Steve was very kind to me. Uh, actually, there's a story with Skydance that uh, a meeting I had with him that very much changed the trajectory of, of the company. Uh, when we were first starting Skydance, I asked Steve to pitch him the company. And, you know, Steve was very kind. He said, you know, fly up here tomorrow. And I pitched him the company. And he looked at me and said, I don't think this will work. And I asked him why. And he talked about Pixar. You know, he's like, I want you to come back up here and talk about how you guys are going to aspire to make movies and tell stories better than anybody else. Because he's like, because that's what we did at Pixar. What was your, what was your pitch? It was more about financing and... It was much more about financing. It was much more around the franchises that we we're going to become a part of. And, you know, Steve's point was, if the movie's not good, it doesn't matter that it's a sequel to a franchise. People still won't go. And, uh, you know, he looked at me at Pixar and talked a lot about the golden age of cinema and the Walt Disney system and how free agency was ultimately created when, you know, Walt didn't really take care of all the talent at that period of time. And what Steve basically did was he recruited the most talented artists in the world to work at Pixar. Um, they were all partners in the company. 
uh, on top of being filmmakers. And they aimed incredibly high creatively and had a track record in a run that is still to this day unprecedented. They did that by aiming high and never stopping work on a movie until they thought it was, you know, ready to be released. Right. So the Ellison family is a major investor in Skydance, correct? Is your dad in- involved in the business? Yeah, no, my family is, one, is uh, the largest shareholder in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, Tencent, CJ Entertainment, and Redbird Capital Partners are also uh, partners in Skydance. My dad is supportive, but, you know, we, we've thankfully built a multi-billion dollar business. And, you know, I have to address him as, as, as you would any other shareholder when it comes to it. You know, he gave me an incredible opportunity by believing me in the beginning. I could not be more grateful for that. And, you know, we definitely talk about work constantly and, and work together constantly. But, uh, you know, he's been an incredible mentor and guide throughout all of this. So I'd love you to discuss the influence of your mother. That's one thing he actually said. One of the things he said to me, I said, your kids seem really nice. You know, they seem for, for growing up so well. Wealthy. And he said, oh, it's because I didn't raise them. Their mother did, which I thought was it was unusual coming out of his mouth, I'll be honest with you. Um, but talk about the influence of your mom in this. Um, God, I don't have enough words to describe how much uh, how influential my mom's been in my life. Um, I, but he's correct. My, uh, you know, m- mother did raise me. You know, my parents got divorced, uh, you know, when I was three and I grew up predominantly with my mom. And, um, you know, she you know, she did the incredibly impossible job of being a single parent to two kids and and really set everything aside to raise me and my sister. Mm-hmm. And also love of movies, correct? Absolutely. My, my love of movies really helped start with my mom, where one of the things the two of us would do is uh, we would go to the theater and see anything that came out every weekend that it came out. Uh, you know, sometimes maybe a little bit too early, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, <laughs> uh, j- jokingly, like uh, you know, seeing Terminator Two at eight was maybe was maybe questionable, but uh, yeah, oh, but I obviously love that. I took I took my son to Sausage Party, and that was a, I can consider it my worst parenting mistake of my life. <laughs> I, I I went to the preview of that with my sister yeah. and was just, just like dying laughing out loud. I, I but, understand, but you don't but, want to go. But with yes, a but you don't really want. Yes, that's no. that's, uh, that's like a uh, teenager. You know, like yeah, seven, yeah. That, that, he looked over at me and he said, "Awkward, you're a terrible parent." And I'm like, "I am. I don't know what to do at this moment." So we just let's keep watching. De- definitely rated R. <laughs> but your mother took you to Terminator too, which was the best Terminator, actually. I agreed, and it's uh, and look, and the thing you brought up, my sister, like one of the things. Uh, uh, you know, my mom had an incredible VHS collection that I actually still have. You know, she had about 2,000 VHS tapes. And my sister and I would always go into the VHS closet and basically pick a series. And our idea of a great time was just finding a franchise to binge all of in one day. And so, you know, we would watch the Star Wars saga from start to finish in a day. We'd watch the Rocky films from start to finish in a day. And so really, uh, a lot of my love of cinema and film really came from my childhood with my mom. Right. So talk a little bit, the idea of coming into Hollywood, many at first thought you were dumb money, like a lot of people. This is not a new, fresh Hollywood thing. You now, given the success, smart money, but money nonetheless. Talk a little bit about that, that idea of when you show up, they think you're the dumb rich kid, right? Presumably. How did you deal with that? Um, Put my head down, did the work uh, personally. And then, you know, I believe above everything, we are a business of people. And, you know, I was very fortunate, as I said, to have mentors like Steve Jobs and David Geffen and Skip Brittenham. And I listened and, you know, I think avoided 
a lot of mistakes by being able to stand on their shoulders gratefully and really listen to the advice. But then also I, I try to partner and hire the, you know, at Skydance, the smartest people possible. And now when you look around our, our senior leadership team, one of the things I'm the most proud of is the incredible group of people I get to come to work with every day. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit, speaking of something that was harder for you, is Pixar co-founder John Lasseter. You hired him in 2019 after he left Disney after Me Too complaints. It got a lot of negative publicity. The Hollywood Reporter quoted a source who said Lasseter, quote, was known for grabbing, kissing, making comments about physical attributes. He's talked about this. What did you learn from that and what would you do differently? He's obviously still there. Talk a little bit about what you learned from that. I learned a tremendous amount from that. First, you know, I, I don't have any regrets about hiring John Lasseter. He has been remarkable to work with, and I could not be more proud of the the movies that we're creating in the artists that we're working with. But you did seem to be dealing with a lot of problems. Women at Skydance apparently were crying when he was appointed. So talk a little bit about how you dealt with that and what you think about the weariness among some in tech and Hollywood about Me Too and politics in the workplace. So what I really learned and what I regret is how I handled it. We did a very, very thorough, you know, investigation. And basically, we talked to all of our senior leadership, um, you know, and, you know, Skydance has been a 50-50 company. So, you know, from that standpoint, we talked to everybody in leadership. But the way we handled it was not great. Why do you mean by <laughs> you that? You know, the way we announced it out into the world, uh, you know, we, we should have listened more. Uh, we should have talked to more people externally and internally. And, and I really do believe we, we could have handled it a lot better. Uh, but as I said, I stand by the decision. And I think when you look forward at the work that we're doing, I hope that the, the work will be able to you know, speak for what we're building and, and and how special I really believe it is. Right, but it's not just the work, right? I mean, there is a weariness. I, I've met with so many Hollywood people now that are like, no more Me Too. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if you can move along quite so quickly, but it's definitely been changed the way things are run in Hollywood. How did you change? So as I said, Skydance has been a 50-50 company. This is 50 men and women. That's correct. From our standpoint, you know, again, I'm I trying to, try to answer the question the best I possibly can, which is which is really... I, I regret how we announced it out into the world. I, I think we could have listened and learned more in terms of everybody that we talked to. But in terms of kind of our our founding ideals and believing in a 50-50 culture and believing in supporting, you know, equal rights for all artists, that's how we believed in and felt since day one. That hasn't changed. Uh, it You know, it was the same in 2010 as it is today in terms of our viewpoint on the world. I think what we really didn't understand was the moment that we were living in. In the way that we handled it, we could have done a much, much better job. And that was a wake-up call to me. Uh, that was probably my hardest professional experience was, um, you know, that time period in the beginning of Q1 of, of 2019. And, you know, I have learned a tremendous amount since then and have talked to a tremendous amount of people, both internally and externally. And really the things that they've taught me have made me a, a better leader. We'll be back in a minute. If you like this interview and want to hear others, follow us on your favorite podcast app. You'll be able to catch up on Sway episodes you may have missed, like my conversation with Matt Bellany and Ben Smith, and you'll get new ones delivered directly to you. More with David Ellison after the break.
you had more time in the day, would you take a nap, read a book, talk with a friend? When something's important to you, it's easier to make time for it. Therapy can help you decide what matters most. BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on your schedule. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash hardfork today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash hardfork. I use the New York Times Games app every single day. I love playing Connections. With Connections, I need to twist my brain to see the different categories. I think I know this connection. Look, Bath is a city in England, Sandwich is a city in England, Reading is a city in England, and I'm going to guess Derby is a city in England. I started Wordle 194 days ago, and I haven't missed a day. The New York Times Games app has all the games right there. I absolutely love Spelling Bee. I always have to get genius. I've seen you yell at it and say, that (laughs) should be a word. Totally should be a word. Sudoku is kind of my version of lifting heavy weights at the gym. At this point, I'm probably more consistent with doing the crossword than brushing my teeth. When I can finish a hard puzzle without pins, I feel like the smartest person in the world. When I have to look up a clue to help me, I'm learning something new. It gives me joy every single day. Start playing in the New York Times Games app. You can download it at nytimes.com slash games app. So who do you pattern yourself after? You did say in 2015 you wanted it to be Marvel. What did you mean by that? You don't have a superhero. These are, you know, Star Trek was a franchise. Terminator was a franchise. Top Gun is a franchise. So what I, what I meant by that was that was a company that I tremendously look up to and admire. The qualities of movies that come out of Marvel are... A plus, pretty consistently. The idea to create an interconnected cinematic universe was transformative and never been done before on the big screen. And, you know, one of the thematics that we built Skydance on was the idea of where entertainment is heading. You know, the Gretzky quote of, you know, skate to where the puck is going, not to where the puck has been. And I think Marvel embodied all of those characteristics in terms of constantly delivering quality and constantly delivering something that the audience had never seen before and doing things that were transformative in the in the industry. And so I, I have nothing but admiration and respect for everything they built. So, so talk about Terminator. Now, I, I thought Old Guard was fantastic, by the way. I thought that was, that should be a franchise. What a good, what we, a good we movie. We are four weeks out from shooting the second one. Oh, great. This is with uh, Charlize Theron, and it's about an old guard of kick-ass people. I don't know how else to put it. I don't, what, how would yep, you describe it? It, it, it is about a group of immortals, and, uh, and I, I could not be more excited about the sequel and, and very, very proud of the original movie. By the way, Marvel's Immortals did not work as well. They did not apply excellence there, as I would say. Um, but what didn't work with the Terminator franchise? This is another franchise I adore. But Genesis and Dark Fate did not work. What do you think went wrong there? Um, on Genesis, I think we needed to make a better movie. Mm-hmm. The movie made, you know, $440 million at the box office, but really underperformed domestically. And, you know, from the, from the fan side, we heard and understood that they were not satisfied. And that was something we really took in and took to heart. You know, on on Dark Fate, I'm proud of the movie. And, you know, why it didn't work has been a constant, basically, discussion and, and debate. But I do really believe in the movie that uh, that we made there. And, you know, on, on Genesis, I think we really could have done our jobs better. May I give you a fan comment? Please. You can only blow up the world so many times. Ultimately, you've got to move to a different story. Yeah. Well, one of the things we definitely talked about was the fact that we didn't create enough new. And also that, you know, after a couple of series of negative installments, there was a need for a larger reset. 
So let's move on to streaming. Um, you were very bullish on streaming early and sold a lot of shows into streaming, although you just made Top Gun, which is such a theater movie. When you think about the equilibrium of Hollywood, the economic equilibrium, where do you think the next thing is going to be? There's obviously huge amounts of tech people involved. There's all kinds of issues around Netflix and streaming, you know, Warner Brothers. How do you look at it? I interviewed Bob Iger recently. He thought Disney was too small even and that there's a lot that's going to change. How do you look at it as someone who's selling into this environment? So, uh, look, we are big believers uh, in Netflix, Apple, and Amazon. Obviously, our, our animation deal is with Apple. Our first look live action deal is with Apple. They have been tremendous partners to us. Amazon has been a remarkable partner to us. You know, we had the Tomorrow War with them uh, last year, uh, as well as Without Remorse, which were both very, very successful. And similarly, as we said, I'm, I'm big believers in Netflix and don't think any of those companies are going anywhere. You know, I, there are a lot of people, myself included, who believe we're in the middle of a larger market correction. And while that will create challenges for companies, you know, the companies that we're talking about are world-class and best-in-class and, you know, will be able to navigate that and I believe emerge stronger than ever. Um, theatrical, uh, people have been talking about its demise for a long period of time. First, they talked about its demise when television came out. You know, people talked about that when, you know, when the DVD business uh, came about. You know, as people, I believe we enjoy social experiences. And I think people will continue to go to the movies. And I think people are going to continue to have a tremendous amount of choice. Sure, and but it's smaller. It continues to be smaller and smaller and smaller. It's way lower than 2019. Oh, absolutely. But I think we're still coming out of you know, the pandemic. And I think we're going to have to kind of see how the consumer you know, basically evolves and how the marketplace evolves. So you're putting your bets everywhere. You're just going to assume the tech companies are going to be strong players. We believe tremendously in the direct-to-consumer business. Absolutely. All right. I have a couple more questions about the future of Skydance. When you deal, you have a deal with Paramount that's up in June, as you said. Will you renew? Uh, so we, uh, we signed a deal with Apple that started January of this year which is a first look deal, but we still have a tremendous relationship with Paramount and a tremendous amount of ongoing business with them. All of the franchises that we've worked on from Mission Impossible to Top Gun, uh, to Star Trek, to Transformers, the, you know, the Tom Clancy universe, we're all continue making together. And, and we want to find more to do together as well. So we, we have a great relationship with Paramount. All right, I have a few more questions. Um, beyond streaming, VR, are you preparing any Web3 or Metaverse things? Or are you just waiting for things to happen? So we took a big bet in VR five years ago. We acquired a company called The Workshop. And our first game, Archangel, uh, was kind of a VR mech shooter. But we were a little early on the market uh, a couple years ago. And then with, uh, with Walking Dead Saints and Sinners, the market really arrived. Do you think the metaverse is overhyped, this idea? It's early. It's certainly early. It's definitely early. But I do think, I'll never forget personally, the, the reason why I was so excited to get into virtual reality is when I put on the headset, it was one of the most transformative experiences I've ever had in my entire life. The last time I can remember in the interactive space feeling that way was when I was a kid and Super Mario Brothers came out on Nintendo 64. And for the first time, you were inhabiting a three-dimensional world as opposed to just, you know, the, the kind of flat 2D Zelda of going left to right. And really the ability to immerse yourselves in a world that VR offered, we thought was transformative. Uh, there was a lot of stuff to figure out. 
And, you know, the game is now, you know, has now sold several million units and it has no sign of slowing down. So I think you're going to see the, the VR marketplace expand. Zuckerberg has very publicly talked about how many headsets he wants to get into people's homes. And I do believe that there is going to be a very significant market in terms of augmented reality and virtual reality, particularly as it comes to consumer experiences. You know, we talk in animation, for example, it's amazing to go to Disneyland and have that experience practically and meet the characters. But with augmented reality, you can now bring those characters into your home. So it's something that we believe in uh, tremendously. And uh, we have several games that we're creating in this Yeah, space. just, you know, who's going to do it? It's going to be Apple, not Facebook. As I said, could not be bigger believers in that company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they love AR. They love AR over there. So there's um, there's been speculation that Skydance will be acquired. Do you want to be acquired? I mean, being an independent company is tough. No matter, you, you can have great years and then not. So uh, we are not for sale. Our heads are down and we're building the business. Uh, you know, last year we had an incredibly good year. It's actually the strongest year in the history of the company. And, uh, you know, this year is already scheduled to be uh, significantly better. We feel uh, very good about where we are and we're very much in, in building mode uh, is kind of how we're thinking about so it. So what is your end game then? I just, let me quote your father, everything's for sale. But um, if not an acquisition, what's your end game? Um, I view it as always wanting to create optionality. You know, if the once in a lifetime opportunity came about to do something transformative inside of a larger organization, you never want to say never. But, you know, where that's not something we're actively exploring at the moment. You know, we've talked about the ability to go public. Uh, but again, right now, uh, we're really kind of heads down building the business. So you're not exploring any acquisitions at all. You're not thinking about it. Not at this moment in time, no. Okay. I'd be remiss um, if I didn't ask about your dad, this news about the Trump phone call um, that he was involved in. Now, you're in Hollywood, which is very liberal. Do you get impacted by that? I think, uh, you know, you're not your dad. I'm not going to give you responsibility for what calls your father's on and his businesses. So, but do you, is that, does that affect your business there in Hollywood? So, Kara, let me be um, really clear about a couple of things. One is, as I'm sure you can appreciate, um, there are more rumors about my father than truth <laughs> these days. I yeah. mean, um, and while I would never want to speak for anybody in my family, I feel very, very comfortable. And it is very easy to say that everybody in my family believes it was a free and fair election and accepts the results of the election. Okay. Uh, I'm a socially liberal person myself, but, you know, want to put that firmly on the record so that there's no questions. Okay, but it doesn't affect you in your work. I, you know, I just had a conversation like this with someone else who has a controversial spouse. And it's like, I'm not that person. The only thing I, I you know, it's, um, I can only be myself. I can only let my own actions speak for me. And, um, you know, and as it relates to my dad and my family, I love them dearly. You know, there can always be complexities within families. Uh, but, you know, I, I love all of them. And, um, you know, and obviously, if, if whether there's any issues and anyone wants to talk about anything, uh, I'm an open book in regards to that. And we'll, you know, we'll always talk to anybody about it. Let me leave you with the last question. Are you Maverick, Goose, or a rooster? <laughs> um can I say aspiring towards Maverick? Is that a fair Yeah, answer? yeah, that can be. That's fine. Or do you have another <laughs> yeah. name? No, no, no call signs on our side, but... Uh, Mine is Chaos Monkey uh, after Elon Musk. That's fantastic. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. All right, David, thank you so much. Thank you. Sway is a production of New York Times Opinion. 
It's produced by Naima Raza, Blakeney Schick, Caitlin O'Keefe, and Wyatt Orm. With original music by Isaac Jones, mixing by Sonia Herrero and Carol Saburo, and fact-checking by Kate Sinclair, Michelle Harris, and Mary Marge Locker. Special thanks to Shannon Busta, Kristen Lynn, and Christina Samuluski. The senior editor of Sway is Naima Raza. And the executive producer of New York Times Opinion Audio is Irene Noguchi. If you're in a podcast app already, you know how to get your podcasts. So follow this one. If you're listening on the Times website and want to get each new episode of Sway delivered to you, along with 2,000 VHS tapes, download any podcast app, then search for Sway and follow the show. We release every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.